Many Americans are affected by issues with their mental health that not only affect their personal lives, but also their work lives. For one, a 30-year-old account executive who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, this was especially true. He was unable to meet his daily call quota and sales goals because of problems focusing, as well as frequent periods of both mania and depression that, unfortunately, medication was unable to consistently control. This forced him to take frequent time off of work, using up his sick days, while his doctor worked to better treat his symptoms. Fortunately, after completing a benefit assessment, his employer was able to adapt to his needs by adjusting his daily call quota numbers. This workplace accommodation allowed him to stay on the job and continue to meet his sales targets despite his mental health struggles. This story is just one example of how, with the right support from their employer, employees can be successful at work. We'll discuss this more in today's episode. Welcome to Last Thing Discussed. Benefits Talk for the Workplace. Brought to you by The Standard. Welcome to the first episode of Last Thing Discussed, Benefits Talk for the Workplace. I'm your host, Carolyn McArdle. This week, I'm speaking with two of The Standard's very own, Deborah Villar, a manager of Disability Medical Resources, and Dr. Dan Jolivet, the Workplace Possibilities Practice Consultant. They're here today to talk about behavioral health in the workplace. So here's what I want to start off with. I want to talk about the pandemic and behavioral health. Everybody is affected. Everybody has been changed by the pandemic in so many different ways. It doesn't matter if you're the younger generation or older generation, your parent, or you don't have kids. So many different situations have forced changes in our lives. And I want to know how you guys see the reality of all of these changes, because there are a lot of them. Well, from my perspective, I love to use the quote, we're not all in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm, that everyone, as you said, everyone is impacted and not all the same. I think the one example is the people like myself who are sheltering in place by themselves have a completely different experience of the pandemic from someone who is sheltering in place with their family. We know from some research that we found that prior to the pandemic, about one in four adult Americans experienced a diagnosable behavioral health condition. That is either a mental health condition or they screened positive for alcohol misuse, prescription drug misuse, or uh, drug abuse. Since the start of the pandemic, we've seen more than half of Americans reporting that they're struggling with mental health or substance use issues. And we know younger workers struggle more than older workers. Women and minorities have been particularly hard hit. And uh, people just don't know where to go for help or aren't able to find help. Yeah, I wanted to chime in, too, because when you say current state, you know, one in up to people are experiencing mental health that correlates so well with our current claims experience and what our behavioral health case management team is experiencing right now in terms of the influx of volume of mental health claims. It makes it all that much more real, knowing that this is happening. And now on on the flip side, we're experiencing having, you know, to support, you know, individuals um, with so many mental health diagnoses. 
Wouldn't you say that depending on the industry that you're in also, that the issues and the problems are different? I mean, the industry definitely affects it as well. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen, uh, I've been working particularly with school districts. Uh, Teachers are tremendously stressed. Uh, Hospitals, healthcare workers uh, really are at their limit. And uh, first responders, particularly police officers, have just been put to a a level of stress that is unsustainable. And those are all professions, too, where uh, people typically are working kind of by themselves. You you know, if you're a teacher alone in the classroom or you're a police officer patrolling on your own or even healthcare providers, often the, the nurse is the only person in the room. These are extremely stressful positions to start with. And then you add in the pandemic and fears about getting ill and uh, all the other stresses besides the pandemic, like the social unrest and racial issues and the natural disasters we've been struggling with. And yeah, different uh, industries really do seem to be under different kinds of stress. I I would agree with that, too. Also, in, in terms of those professions, we do work with a high volume of teachers and, and just looking at that occupation alone, so many unknowns, you know, whether you're in school, whether you're at home virtual, having this hybrid mix and it's a constant back and forth. So just those unknowns adds mm-hmm. a, an additional layer of stress to those individuals. I was just reading today, at least here in California, there are teachers that have gone back to the classroom after remote learning for a year and a half. And now there's so much demand again for remote learning, kids not going to school, they'd rather learn at home, that they're taking certain teachers out of elementary schools and kind of forcing them to be remote instructors. Maybe they don't want to, but that adds a whole other layer of stress because now those poor teachers are thinking, I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life, remote style, and this might be my future. And I can't, They've already been through so much, you know. Absolutely. Here in Oregon, we have uh, the schools are back on a hybrid basis. So, for example, my daughter in high school, she goes into class or will be going into class two days a week, mm-hmm. attending class remotely two days a week. And the classes are split in half, uh, flip-flopping. So that means the teachers are having to teach half their students remotely and half live in person. And we know that virtual communication, uh, Zoom meetings, things like that, we know those create a greater cognitive load on people's ability to function. And it's harder for us to communicate and to relate through a computer screen. But when you add in balancing remote and in-person teaching, that I don't know of any research on it, but that's got to be even more difficult. Mm -hmm. It's the constant unknown, right? The constant unknown. And I think that's one of the biggest things I heard from teachers in particular was that was the thing that surprised them the most is the technology challenge. It's already hard enough. I mean, I know we're going on a tangent here, but it's already hard enough when you're (laughs) a teacher and you're trying to get your lesson and, you know, your class together and you've got kids that aren't focusing and there's parents walking around in the background. And then it's like, you don't even know how to use Zoom, right? And that's just got to be just really, really hard. And, you know, when kind of circling back to the to the work-life, work-life, when we talk about struggling with mental health and how it impacts so many different things, it also impacts your productivity. It impacts your engagement in, in work and in life. It really affects a lot. 
Yes, in our, our study, the Behavioral Health Impact Update, we found that prior to the pandemic, about 7% of payroll was going to pay people who were not productive because they were struggling with mental health or substance use issues. But since the onset of the pandemic, that's roughly doubled. So about 13% of payroll is going towards people who are just not able to be Productive. They're focused on their mental health or substance use issues. So mm-hmm. there, there's a tremendous impact in terms of the, the bottom line for uh, businesses. Yeah. And I would just add that there's no such thing at this point of going back to normal. It doesn't exist because every job has changed in some way, shape mm-hmm. or form. And with that, so have people. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I know people in my life that had a couple more years left in the workplace and they've kind of said, well, I don't really love where this is headed. I think I'm going to hang it up now. So if they have the means, they're retiring. And that's absolutely true. I have uh, my friends who are teachers, uh, police officers, and uh, doctors and nurses. A lot of them are talking about retiring, uh, retiring early. And that is on top of what we're, you know, we're talking about as the great resignation. The, the polls suggest that somewhere between 40 and 95% of the adult population is considering resigning this year. And it looks like statistically, it looks like we'll see about uh, 35 to 40% of people quit, which is huge, but yeah. particularly in these uh, occupations that are high stress and that aren't necessarily very easy to refill. We, you can't just uh, go out and find new healthcare workers. We're pretty much already employing all the healthcare workers that are out there. We we can't produce enough new teachers and enough uh, new police officers and uh, first responders to make up for those who get burned out or who say, look, this just isn't worth it. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think, um, you know, even before the pandemic, like Deborah, you were alluding to a couple of minutes ago, status quo wasn't great for everyone. And I think that the pandemic has highlighted these existing disparities like race and gender and working women and all of those things that need examining. Yeah. And I, it, it's funny because there's, you know, there's two sides, right? There's also the side where, wow, now there are so many employees who have um, realized we can do this virtually or Um, some of the jobs, yeah, you can work from home now and there's a little bit more flexibility. So I also see from an employee standpoint where maybe when this initially came about, there was so much resistance to having to have to stay home and understanding why, but you know, Mm -hmm. this, this change and how overwhelming that change was, but now here we are fast forward a year and I hear so many employees saying, well, you know what, we've kind of gotten used to this. And now the idea of actually traveling back into the office is a little bit of a deterrent Mm -hmm. working from home now creates a little bit more flexibility. Now they're trying to start to find that balance. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the key piece here too, with, our employees and taking care of our employees is really trying as an employer to find that balance, find that level that works for all. Yeah, I think one great thing that's come out of this pandemic is a good reminder about employee humanity. Big, important factor. Yeah, I, you know, I think our company did a really good job, the standard in really making it known um, and repeating time and time again that our people came first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we had a, we had a job to do and there were certain expectations, but not at the cost of our individuals. That's something that I I'm very prideful of um, being able to work with an, an employer that really just genuinely cared and making sure that their employees knew. Yeah, you're human. 
and we all are going to make mistakes and we're all trying to navigate these waters together. You know, you started off by saying how everyone has had this experience. We've all had this. Everybody's been forced to have this moment. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the impacts have been different, but recognizing that we're all in this together Mm -hmm. has been really profound. I think it's important to be really clear that this can't just be talk, that you can't just say our people are important because we were saying that before while there were all these disparities, you know, racial and and, uh, gender Mm -hmm. gaps, uh, people not being treated uh, as, as equitably as we would like to see them. And that could continue to go on, but ideally we're going to take this as an opportunity to be more person-focused, treat people more as people and and recognize our humanity. And I I think a culture that really supports people's full persons helps them to be authentic, helps them to feel psychologically safe, uh, recognizes and really focuses on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion to create a sense of belonging that we want to move forward with that. And I think employers may want to go back to how things were before. And I I hear about employers who are saying, we need to bring people back into the office. That's really important. And at the same time, employees are saying, you know, not so fast. And a significant percentage of employees who have been working remotely are saying, yeah, if you're going to force me to come back into the office, I'll find another uh, job. I'll find someone Mm -hmm. who will let me work remotely. And I think there's got to be greater sensitivity to people's emotional well-being, their mental health, and their ability to thrive at work while not uh, not losing sight of the fact that you know we have to do a job, we have to have a good work-life balance. So I, I think employers are really going to have to consider and look intentionally at what the workplace is going to be like moving forward. And I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed just in my own life, and we'll see if you guys can relate to this, is not having a commute on either end of your day. Oh, yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area and I got about an hour or sometimes an hour and a half back. Well, that's a great thing for my employer. If I'm at home and I'm able to do things at home, that time can be divided between my employer and, you know, maybe things that I want to do for me, go to the gym or whatever the case may be. But I think that's important as well to point out. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think I was in the same position too. I when you look at miles, mm-hmm. I'm probably about 27 miles from the office, but it would there were days that it would take me an hour and a half, almost 2 hours just to to get there. So huge huge amount of time that's coming back. However, the tricky part is making sure that now you don't become the sacrificial lamb, right? Where you're right. just working 10, 12 hour days um just because you're home. And you're there and you walk by your your desk or your laptop and all of a sudden you're checking emails. And, you know, I think that's something that our employees have had to learn as well, too. Right. Just trying to, again, finding that balance, finding out what works for them individually, because each and every person has been going through something a little bit different and a little unique. So that's it's an important thing to, to point out as well, too. You're so right that there is such a balance with that. The temptation to just walk by your de- your home office desk and check yeah. that email or, you know, whatever the case may be, it is it is real and, and it sucks you in, doesn't it? You could find yourself three hours later still sitting there and you only your intention was to send one email. 
Oh, I know. And if you have a work cell, forget it. And you got to make sure you unplug that bad boy because otherwise (laughs) (laughs) you're doomed. Oh, I like where you guys are going with this. (laughs) Setting boundaries is much more important than it, it used to be. When you're working in the office, there's a natural boundary. There isn't a boundary when you're working remotely. And we also need to be careful that flexibility doesn't become, you know, the flexibility to be working at one o'clock in the morning, we need to have uh, clear limits and have uh, clearer agreements with our uh, our supervisors, with our employers about what is, what is it we're supposed to be doing, what are our priorities, and and what times are we supposed to be doing that. I I have friends whose bosses expect responses to texts sent at 11 o'clock or midnight. And it's really difficult for many people to to speak up and to say to their boss, you know. I, I can't be on 24-7 just because I'm working uh, remotely. Yeah. What do you think the stress of this pandemic has done physically to us, to our brains? Well, we know, unfortunately, none of it is good. Uh, We know from a lot of uh, research on trauma that, and and this is a trauma, trauma is any kind of stress that overwhelms our resources we can't cope with, something involuntary, something that happens to us. And we know that physically our brains change. We are more primed for stress. We're ready for the fight or flight response. We're ready to, to respond aggressively if we feel threatened. Uh, We're more likely to have difficulty uh, responding rationally. We have difficulty planning things when when we're already sort of keyed up. Uh, we have problems communicating, especially around emotions. It gets difficult to express our emotions verbally, and it gets easier to express them through our actions, whether that's you know yelling or throwing things or whatever. And it also impairs our memory. So we know that across a, a wide range of, uh, of mental and behavioral functions, trauma changes us. It doesn't just change us. It changes our children. And in some instances, there's evidence it even changes our grandchildren. So we're not going to be the same people. Uh, and, And we see that, I think, a lot in things like the political divide, where people are so quick to feeling attacked, or even with the racial issues, when people are so quick to look at people who are different and say, you know, they're to blame for the pandemic or they're to blame for our problems. So trauma definitely changes us. When it comes to trauma-informed management, what do you think that looks like moving forward in terms of communication? Well, I actually had a great example of this. I was uh, uh, doing a running a roundtable on mental health and uh, the workplace, and one of the participants said she's a senior leader at a, a company. I, I don't actually know her, but she said she was walking by and saw a uh, an employee there was some issue, I think it was with an elevator, some minor thing. And this employee just snapped and got extremely angry. And the person they were talking to, who may have been their supervisor, the person they talked to was ready to jump and ready to, you know, just snap back. And the person who was talking to me said, she looked at the person and thought, this isn't about the elevator something else is going on. And she said, she intervened. She's a senior leader in her company. She intervened, said to the person who was so angry, 
like, come, let, let's talk for a minute. Took them into a, a conference room, closed the door, said, hey, you know, what's going on? And that person immediately started to cry, shared that they had lost three close people to them during the pandemic. They were anxious about being back in the office, worried about the, the, their health. You know, could they get infected? And she spent 10, 15 minutes talking with this person about their feelings and their emotions, giving them a chance to basically let it out and realize that, oh, you know, I wasn't really upset about the elevator, but mm -hmm. identifying when people are triggered, identifying when people are responding to something other than the current situation, then giving them the space to share and also being ready to say, you know, how can I help? What can I do? Whether that's referring them to an EAP or uh, giving them an extra break, being clear that we want to support our people. We want to support each other so that we're not always on edge and we're not uh, struggling because of our unexpressed or, or unresolved feelings. You know, we're, we've been through a historically terrible time and mm -hmm. we can't just act like nothing happened. Tying back into the, the human factor, right? We're doing the best that we can do right now. And in terms of our employees, we're not going to always get it 100% right. But we're we're operating, you know, with positive intent and we're trying to be there and be present, be consistent, communicate with them, clearly communicate often. But recognizing that, yeah, that each individual does have something specific to them, unique that's going on within their own personal life and recognizing that to be able to best support them. And I was just thinking about the example that you gave, Dan, and thinking about the fact that that employee's relationship with their manager who who said, come in my office and just tell me what's going on in your life for a minute. That relationship has forever changed for the good, I would think. Yes. Because now that person looks at their manager as a manager, but also, Deb, to your point, as a human being. Yeah. And how great is that, that you've got a manager now that you know actually genuinely cares about your well-being? And maybe that's something that we've taken away from this pandemic for the good is that that relationship has sort of changed. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's impossible for managers to continue to manage the way we did, especially things like micromanaging and managing just to the numbers without considering people's feelings and where people uh, are. It, it's really not possible to ask people to leave their personal lives at the door. It wasn't possible before, but we had an illusion around that. But I, I think the soft skills, things like empathy and concern are really, really crucial here. Yeah. It's interesting how this pandemic has kind of put us all on the same level. Um, an example from my life, I uh, got COVID in December and mm. uh, I was really sick. And my boss was very supportive, but then he got it. Not for me, um, mm -hmm. but he got it. And then I had so much empathy for him. And I realized we want each other to be okay. And I yeah. care about him and his situation equally. To, and so there was no longer a boss and employee. It was like human being to human being, right? Yeah. Like forget work. Like let's just make sure you're okay. And I think that that um, experience has changed our relationship for the good uh, permanently. I would jump all over that, too, because um, I think as a manager, being able to show a level of vulnerability 
with my team, you know, and, and my peers and in my coworkers, it does change things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it also shows that, you know, yeah, I, I'm human too, right? And mm-hmm. I feel as well. And I'm role modeling, whether it's I'm role modeling good behavior at that moment in time, or I make mistakes, but I'm going to own yeah. it and I'm going to be accountable for it. And, you know, it doesn't make me any better or any different than you. We're, we're in this together and let's figure out a way to, to make it work. But that level of vulnerability, I think is so important. I think it's really appreciated from employees when they get to connect with, you know, leadership in any mm-hmm. manner. I'll throw a plug too for the standard because one of the things that they did and they did really, really well was our CEO used to send video messages um, out very frequently. And the feedback that we received from that was, wow, we we kind of got to know our CEO on mm. a different level. You know, he was emotional. He was vulnerable. He laughed. He teared up. He spoke from his heart and, and it was so well received. And I think that having that and seeing that at the highest level and trickle all the way down and be reinforced was really powerful. That's a great example. And I, I think absolutely the standard has done a great job, but we're kind of already in the field of empathy. We're already working, you know, because we're dealing with people during their worst uh, crises when they're dealing with, you know, disability or uh, when they've lost a loved one. And one of the important things I think uh, that uh, needs to be factored into this is that not every industry is like that. I have friends who are, for example, engineers or computer people. And I have a a very close friend who is a, a manager at an engineering firm. And the soft skills of management, things like asking people how they are and listening with empathy, that is not at all uh, something he is a natural at or even comfortable with and helping people, uh, people managers to be able to develop those skills and to recognize their value and, and also to recognize the importance of psychological safety. Because to be honest, you know, I have friends who are in construction and psychological safety isn't something that immediately uh, rings uh, a bell for someone in the construction industry, even though they need people to feel safe and secure around each other just as much as every other industry. So helping people, uh, particularly in diverse industries, to learn and understand new management skills, new techniques, and to be mindful of these behavioral health uh, issues. That's a really important part of moving forward and making a shift to a, a more intentional, more hopefully humane workplace. Wouldn't it be great if even just one manager, one person in a managerial role heard this podcast and they were like, wow, yeah, I could make a difference just by being more of a human being to my, like, how great would that be if we just had one person that, that really got it? That'd be fantastic. I was recently asked if I could talk with anyone in the world around uh, healthy workplace, uh, workplaces that support mental well-being, any person in the world. I said, well, gee, why not aim high? I'd like to talk to Jeff Bezos. (laughs) How was that received? Well, it, it, it <laughs> was just for an interview. So it's like, you know, oh, okay. whoever. <laughs> that would be so great. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, any business owner, to reg- if they don't already recognize that, as you say, to get one person to realize, oh, this is important. 
treating people with respect and dignity, treating people mm-hmm. in a way where they feel like they can bring their full selves to work and they have value. I mean, that has to have a tremendous positive uh, return on investment. It has to. It has, it has to. to. And I want to talk a little bit about psychological safety, if we can, really quick. I know you just alluded to that. Several years ago, uh, Google said that one of the five keys to a successful team at work is psychological safety. They said things like not being punished for making a mistake and feeling like you can be your authentic self without being sort of punished for making mistakes. How do you guys, I think I know the answer to this, but I want to hear from you how you feel about that. 100% agree with with every every piece of that. <laughs> the true success of a team is being able to be yourself within a team. Everybody has the strength and everybody has, we don't like to call it weaknesses. We like to call it opportunities, right? And how much can we actually learn from each other? So when we all bring all of that to the table and it's respected and it's nurtured and encouraged, the benefits are tremendous. I think it's important to have a sense of humor, you know, having a diverse and a dynamic team. I'll speak for my team. They're all unique in their own way. They show up and they want to show up for one another, not just for themselves. And that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. And I I would just reinforce some of the things uh, Deb said that, you know, you need to have a a sense of, uh, of humility, a sense of humor, a, an ability to treat each other with dignity and respect, uh, approaching uh, conflicts, collaboratively, looking for win-win solutions, avoiding uh, blame, things like that, and and listening listening empathically and with curiosity. Um, Also, I'd really like to reinforce what uh, you said, Deb, about getting feedback from your team and being ready to admit mistakes. We're all going to make uh, mistakes and you have to be ready to own that and to apologize. What effect do you think the pandemic has had on claims being filed when it comes to behavioral health? Well, I mean, the volume just um, in general has been an immediate impact. The other piece is, too, is is our claimants have they've struggled with being able to even just get to a doctor. You know, when COVID hit, so many offices shut down. There was delay Mm -hmm. in care. So our claimants were filing claims maybe later on than they normally would have. Um, And then having very limited access to their own medical records or documentation. So that causes even more stress in an already stressful situation. One of the things that we've done just from a claims perspective is my team in particular, we've really um, shifted the focus of our work towards earlier intervention, which what that means in a nutshell is making more outreach to both our claimants, but also to their providers. So in lieu yeah. of having to wait around to get medical records, there was more of a proactive approach of us trying to reach out to these providers to say, hey, send me what you got. You know, can you tell me about this person's, you know, current state and and status and condition and, you know, to kind of get the picture together so we could help them move along. You know, if it made sense, um, you know, we always uh, one of the things I like to say is we have to be reasonable and rational. Right. If it made sense and, and things were kind of adding up, then, yeah, we can go ahead and move forward with these claims. And I have to tell you, from a claimant's perspective, they're so mm-hmm. grateful. They're so appreciative Aww. of just having yeah. somebody to talk to, someone that will listen to them and someone mm-hmm. that will go and take the extra step just to to help them through, you know, this time. 
So yeah, that's been an immediate impact for sure. Who knew you were going to be a part-time counselor in all of this? Right. I mean, it's true. Just being an ear for people that have been alone this entire time during the pandemic and somebody who is, you know, has some empathy toward their situation and what they've been through is is great. And to find that in you is like amazing, you know. And I think that kind of points to a difference from the health insurance field to the disability insurance. I worked in health insurance for about 20 years. And I believe health insurance is mostly focused on getting people the treatment they need, you know, paying for Mm -hmm. uh, making referrals, things like that. Disability insurance, we're much more, more focused on helping people stay at or return to work and making sure people are healthy at work. So we have a, a, a really different focus. We're really trying to help our uh, customers, our, our employers, create healthy uh, workplaces that support mental well-being. And whether that's you know with uh, one of our behavioral health case managers, someone on Deb's team, where we're, we're you know acting as a, a consultant or a, excuse me, a counselor. Or in a larger sense where we're doing things like training people to uh, use better tactics for coping with stress or improving mm-hmm. their, their self-care. For us, our, our focus is really very well aligned with employers. We want people to be at work. We want them to be happy and productive. And we know work is central to having a a full productive life. You know, work isn't just the paycheck and it really disability insurers. One, we're not considered, you know, people don't think of disability insurers as being really that helpful when it comes to mental health and substance use issues. But we offer a lot of things, particularly uh, stay at work and return to work services that no other type of insurance offers. And we can provide early intervention, even early in the sense of before someone goes out on claim. And our aim is really very well aligned with what employers want. We and the employers both want people to be working, to be healthy, to be happy, and to be productive. I want to know, going forward, how we create And we've touched on this a little bit, but I want to ask this direct question going forward, how we create a workplace culture that prioritizes behavioral health. You know, we talked about management for sure, but just collectively, how do we create that going forward? I've been looking at this from the perspective of civility recently. And civility is, for me, it's a great concept that pulls together diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, psychological safety. uh, It addresses things like bullying, uh, workplace harassment. But treating people with civility is really sort of the foundation of treating people humanely and making time to be nice, being uh, focused on doing things and and exhibiting actual concrete behaviors that demonstrate concern, caring, and kindness, and training your staff, training everyone from the CEO on down to treat each each other with civility and to be kind to each other, and then building on that with things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, and psychological safety. So I, I 
I think of that as something that really is key. And of course, the trauma-informed management, that's, that's something that many people are not familiar with that I believe could really help us to understand some of the, the crises and conflicts that we're in and allow us to respond more effectively. And I would add, I think employers have an opportunity now to really offer benefits that do support an employee's well-being. And just as an example, going back to the standard, um, they provided pandemic leave and um, they also provided wellness days. And with those wellness days, it was you take them as you need them. Right. Um, it, It doesn't go against your PTO. You just you just take them because you need them, you know, offering a level of flexibility in terms of scheduling and, and just, again, going back to the individual person's unique circumstances and really thinking outside the box to be able to support them. You know, one of my uh, staff members is a single mom and needed to be now a full-time teacher, right? So we needed to adjust her schedule and just make it a little bit more um, flexible for her to be able to take care of her home needs as well as her work needs. And I think um, giving managers the autonomy to say, mm-hmm. okay, this is my team and I'm going to go to each person and each person may have something a little bit different and unique, but we're going to get the work done. And this is how, knowing that there is going to be times where we might have to stretch it a little bit more, but making it okay mm-hmm. was a really big deal. And I, I know it was so valuable to all of um, of my staff. And I know employees across the board really felt that way as well, too. How does that make you feel as a manager, though, you know, from that standpoint, when you're the one that's going to every employee saying, how can I help? That has to feel great for you, too. It felt amazing, honestly. And because, you know, we're all in this situation, right? We're all kind of feeling powerless Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. And then here you have an opportunity to actually give something back to somebody else. I know that people say when they do charity work or when they volunteer somewhere that it's this this rewarding feeling that you get from being able to help others. And I, I find that this was kind of a similar opportunity. I was able to really support my folks individually and be there for them and know that I had the backing of my supervisor as well, too. That felt great. You know, yeah. it, it just felt wonderful. And knowing that if I needed to do some adjusting as well, too, that I was going to be supported as well. So that domino effect was was really positive and powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I can't speak enough of it because it was it was probably the, yeah. the best part to help us just kind of keep going and thrive. That's great. Yeah, that's great. What a difference. I mean, yeah. there are so many. <laughs> There have been a lot of bad things, certainly with this pandemic, but so many great things have come out of it. Things like that that you never would have expected in a million years. And you guys have certainly made me believe that employers really can make a meaningful impact on improving our behavioral health, which is obviously great news. So (laughs) thank you for opening my eyes today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. This has been very informative and very fun, and we appreciate you being on with us. Thank you for having us. And, you know, I I know Dan will agree that, you know, we don't have to do this alone and that there is there's help and there is hope out there. So we just have to keep uh, keep at it. Very well said. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. 
That's it for today for our first episode. I want to say a big thank you to Deborah and to Dr. Dan for taking the time to come on the show and discuss behavioral health in the workplace. If you enjoyed listening to this week's episode, make sure to give us a follow, leave a review, and listen up for new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. I'm Carolyn McArdle, and this has been Last Thing Discussed from The Standard. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.